0: The second highest scoring game of all time, the biggest comeback of the season, and the oldest player to have a 70 point game. Those are a few of the things that took place over the weekend in the NBA. We're less than two weeks away from selection Sunday as another top 10 team loses in crushing fashion to their in state rivals. The trade deadline in the NHL is Friday. While the Bruins are making their push for a Stanley Cup, the Devils take a big swing with a goal scoring forward. Manny Machado's opt out at the end of 2023. That barely lasted a week as the Padres fork over $350 million. What has gotten into the organization as they become a big time spender in the sport? I'll close out with Aaron Rodgers and his darkness retreat and Russell Wilson's alleged coach GM killing ways. It's the start of a big next few days for the podcast as I'm super grateful and thankful to be behind this mic sharing my sports wisdom, opinions, and analysis. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it, just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? people? Greetings! How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits. The last Monday of February leads us into an anniversary week as we're on the brink of celebrating five years of the podcast, but we have some stuff on the sports table that needs a pinch of this and a dash of that, and you know I'm here to provide it to you all as this. Is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, it is a big week. March 1st will be the five year anniversary. And I understand we won't be on until Thursday, but that's quite all right. It will be a day late, but we'll culminate in a little bit of a celebration with the podcast with everything that has happened over the last five years and not only that but at the end of this podcast I have a little bit of a surprise from a video element so you definitely want to stay tuned for that as we get ready five years half a decade I remember it was just like yesterday when I turned on the microphone and my very first maiden voyage was an introduction of yours truly to the podcast universe on what the podcast was going to be what you're going to hear as far as just unfiltered, unadulterated sports talk with big-time opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, everything and anything that happens in the sports world, and we're just a couple days away from celebrating that. So just to put that on your radar before we begin, and now as we get into sports, the NBA after a week off with the All-Star break and really with not much else going on, I understand the NHL with a lot of trades with their deadline coming this Friday, and yes, college basketball is now... Starting to percolate a little bit, although it's been quiet. Some NFL news and notes, as well as baseball, which that's going to be a big topic later on. But the NBA had a very interesting last 72 hours plus. With the schedule jump starting on Thursday, and really from Friday on, you had some crazy games, crazy outcomes, high scoring outputs, some injuries. And to go back to Friday... The Sacramento Kings and the LA Clippers engaged in a double overtime, 176 to 171 final, which was the second highest in the sport. You have to go back to 19, I believe, 84, 85. And this is off the top of my head. I know I should have researched this a little bit more, but I remember the game as a boy between the Denver Nuggets and the Detroit Pistons. That was the Denver Nuggets of Alex English, Kiki Vandeweghe, T.R. Dunn. And of course, the Pistons had a young Isaiah Thomas and the high scoring game that that was at that time in an NBA during that era where the three point shot wasn't prevalent, but you did have scorers in the game. This is now pre Michael Jordan, as we know him being an all time great. So you got to put that in perspective. But you had Julius Irving, you had Larry Bird, you had Magic Johnson. He wasn't a big time scorer, but you had the Showtime Lakers the Sixers, as we know, were a big team. When I mentioned Dr. J, you also have to think of Moses Malone, Andrew Toney, and even with the Bucs back then, Junior Bridgman, Sidney Moncrief, they were a little bit more defensive, Marcus Johnson. But the sport, which was, again, light years from what it was today, but you had a double overtime game where the Kings were able to outlast the Clippers. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think about what Sacramento has done, and we talked about this a little bit in my quote-unquote second-half preview last Monday, but are the Sacramento Kings for real? Now, I know that we still have to have the rest of the regular season play out, and they are a young and -and up-and-coming team led by De'Aaron Fox and De'Montis Sabonis. We know the head coach there, Mike Brown, who's been around the block a few times, and I'm sure his wisdom... And a lot of his knowledge being around the league, players coaching on championship teams, whether it was the Lakers a couple of years ago in the bubble being an assistant or even his days with the Cavaliers going back to the 07 season when the Cavs had a run to the finals where they got swept by the Spurs. Well, all that is starting to culminate in Sactown to a season that's turning out to be pretty special. How far are they are going to go? How much length are they going to have when it gets to the end of this regular season as far as positioning for the playoffs and what they do in the postseason is going to go long and fast and hard as to what this organization has had to endure over the last two decades, especially since they bottomed out after the Pedro Zoryakovich, Chris Webber, Mike Bibby teams of the early 2000s. And if you're a Kings fan, the 45 of you that are out there I know you're ecstatic, I know you're excited, I know you're kind of wanting to see how this is all going to unfold, I'm sure it's not going to lead to big things, whether it's a conference final or an NBA final, but you go along for this ride, it's a magic carpet ride, right now in my gut, I could see them maybe winning a first round series, as it is right now, they probably go up against Dallas, I believe, they would match up in the 3-6 matchup in the West, but as we take a look... I think Sacramento, can they be a live dog? Yes, but there is going to be some pressure on them knowing that they're not sneaking up on anybody. Yes, it's been a great ride so far. Yes, you've exceeded expectations beyond any NBA fan out there. But once you get into April and May, that's when you're going to have to separate the men from the boys. And again, we're going to have to wait till that time in order to witness that. But Sacramento, even winning last night against OKC at home, For what it's worth, they are certainly playing like a team that is confident, feisty, they can score, and this is their first time around the block, so it's almost like ignorance is bliss where, hey, we're just having fun, we're just going out there, we don't care about the big dogs in either of the East or West, we're just playing our game, and wherever the chips may fall, that's what it's going to be. And if that's going to be the case for a young Sacramento team, then give it up, because They may be playing with house money now and maybe as they get into the postseason, but we're going to really get a barometer and take the temperature of this team at that time to see if they're going to have any legs when it comes to playing deep into the postseason. So that's my first bit of news that I want to talk about when it comes to what happened over the weekend. The second order of business is what took place yesterday afternoon and evening. And we could talk about the Boston Philadelphia game Saturday night, but to me, with the Laker-Dallas game yesterday, as the Mavericks got off to a big lead, 27 points, and the Lakers, as we know, they have not been able to get out of their own way this season. Yes, there have been some injuries, obviously, with Anthony Davis and a little bit of a shakeup there right before the trade deadline. But when you have the Lakers in a stranglehold, knowing that this season it's going to be a slog, or at least rest of the regular season is going to be a slog for them to get into the playing tournament, and you have the game in your building, and for them to come back, take the lead, and even with LeBron leaving with a foot injury, which is being monitored day-to-day, he said it doesn't feel well, but he's going to take precautions, and go through the proper procedures to get himself back healthy again, because as we all know, they're going to need him here for this stretch run, but for the Mavericks to give up that lead, and lose that game at home yesterday is inexcusable. And I understand with the dynamic backcourt there, with Kyrie and Luka, And a lot of people are expecting big time production from them. But we all know the Mavericks aren't a defensive laden team. This is a far, far cry from the 2011 championship team when they had Tyson Chandler and guys that could defend the perimeter, whether you're Jason Kidd, although he's a good lane defender and ironically being the coach of the team, I might add. But without having a stopper, without having a guy that's going to put the clamps on And make sure that a team like the Lakers or anybody else in the league are going to have their runs or their comebacks to the point where they're going to take a lead and then win the game. That's alarming. And even Jason Kidd, the coach said that this team is going to have to quote unquote, grow up. Now, one more time, we know that this isn't a defensive stalwart. No one's going to confuse them with that team from yesteryear. And this could be a turning point, not going to say of their season, But knowing that the Kyrie Luka duo is still early in its chemistry and trying to build that confidence together to play with one another, and although it's all coconuts and palm trees at the moment, but after that loss yesterday, that's got to sting, that's got to be a bitter loss for them, and how they're going to rebound and bounce back from that is going to be big throughout this final 20-some-odd game stretch. So that's something to keep in mind. We also got to look at LeBron's injury with that foot and who knows if he's going to be out for any extended period of time. As we know and have documented week in and week out, the Lakers are just trying to paddle to the surface and try to get themselves to land, which is the postseason or at least that playing tournament 7-10 to and still they are without a raft, doggy paddling way far out of shore. And if LeBron is going to be out for any significant period of time, that piece of land is going to look further and further as the hours, minutes, and seconds move on this season. The last thing I want to get to is Damian Lillard. Last night, 71 points at the age of 32. The oldest player in NBA history to do so. Remarkable is probably an understatement to say, we know the type of player he is, we know the type of shooter he is, he is even comparable, now I'm not saying he's better, he is comparable to Steph Curry when it comes to range, because we've seen Damian Lillard come a foot past midcourt and bury threes as if they're layups. And what you saw last night was a display that no Portland Trailblazer fan has ever seen, and 71 points, that is a huge number When you think about it, Kobe scored 81 in that game against the Toronto Raptors back in 2006, and he was still 10 points shy of that. But for Lillard, we know his connection to that city, Rip City, and him staying home, although he's taking the big paychecks, and understandably and rightfully so, that's his team, that's his organization, he's not wanting to jump ship to join forces with friends, or to join forces with a player or two from another organization to try to get that elusive NBA championship, but we all know Portland, similar to the Lakers, as they're just pretty much fighting and gasping for air, doing whatever it takes to try to get themselves in a scenario where they can have Lillard and Anthony Simons try to carry them through a first series round. But we all know that they are far from championship contention. And as we take a look at the standings with both Portland and the Lakers, we know that the Lakers are on the outside looking in, as well as Portland separated. By a half a game. And then you have the Pelicans, who are a half a game ahead of Portland and a game ahead of the Lakers for that last spot, tied with Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, although they're a game on the 500, but they have another win and two games in hand, the Pelicans have, of the Timberwolves. So that bottom rung there, when you're looking at the 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and even 12 and 13, because the Thunder or a half game behind the Lakers, and then the Trailblazers, as I mentioned, a half game ahead of the Lakers, which are on the outside looking in, and then you have at 10, the Pelicans, 12 and a half, and a half game ahead of Portland, tied with Minnesota, then you have Utah at 12, just a half game ahead of the T-Wolves for eighth place, and then Golden State, a half game ahead of them, for the seventh seed at 31 and 30, and then the Mavericks, a half a game at the sixth seed, With the Clippers, a half a game ahead of them. And then Phoenix, a half a game on top of that. So think about this. From seeds four through 13, you're separated by three and a half games. Each separated by half games. So you do not have that big separation from seed four to 14. Fascinating when you break it down. And as I even look at the standings here in, not live, but... I didn't preview the standings prior to jumping on this microphone, so as I'm looking at this, and we've talked about this in the past with the Western Conference, how back in the first month or so, you had the top 10, 11, 12 seeds separated by four and a half games, and then you got the separation from the top, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, and then the rest of it was all in that big cluster, well, that cluster is still there from Phoenix on down. So we will definitely continue to keep an eye on that as we move forward here in this NBA season. And then in the East, I touched on the Celtics and Sixers. They had the Saturday night showcase game where you had Jason Tatum hit that three. There were about three and a half seconds to go. And then a 70-foot heave from Joel Embiid as he was able to drain the bucket. But after the buzzer was sound, as the Celtics sweated out a last second victory in Philadelphia as the Sixers who are now three behind the Celtics in the standings and have not beaten the Celtics this year I might add they're 0-3 against them so that's something to keep in mind down the road if the two teams were to face off in the postseason but you have that and then you have the Bucks who continue to roll even with Giannis having that wrist injury they are winners of 14 straight games A half game behind the Celtics for the top spot in the East, but tied in the loss. So who knows how that's going to shake down as we get closer and closer to the end of the season. They'll have their third and final matchup, the Celtics and Bucks, that is, on March 30th. So we'll get to see them go face-to-face then. And if you remember, right before the All-Star break, the Celtics did lose to the Bucks in Milwaukee, but without Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford. And remember, they had to get a late three to tie and win in overtime to beat the Celtics for what that's worth. So you have that to pay attention to. And then the rest of the East kind of milling around whether you're the Cavaliers, Nets, Knicks. Those teams are separated by three games, but the Cavaliers are entrenched in that four spot. But you have the Nets and Knicks with five and six. And right now comfortable there because the Heat, who have underachieved, and let's see what they're going to do here in this latter 21-22 games left in the season. They're two and a half games behind both the Nets and Knicks there for the upper part of the bracket getting out of the playing tournament. And then you have the Hawks who now have hired Quinn Snyder as the head coach. We talked about Nate McMillan out and Snyder was rumored to be the next head coach in waiting. Well, now it's official. He signs a five-year deal. So they weren't playing any games, knowing the success that he had out in Utah, which didn't mean too much because they did what? Win maybe one round in the postseason over the years. In fact, off the top of my head, they lost the Dallas in the first round last year. In the bubble, they had a seven game war with Denver, which they lost in the first round. And yes, they have been competitive and they played well, but they haven't done anything with Quinn Snyder as the head coach. So let's see what he does as he's now the Hawk head coach, and as I talked about on Thursday's podcast, remember when McMillan came in halfway through that 2020-2021 season, he had to resuscitate this team to the point where they actually went to a conference final. Can Quinn Snyder do anything close to that in this go-around? As McMillan departs and Snyder enters, we shall see as the Hawks have severely underachieved this season, and then you have the Raptors and Wizards rounding out the 7-10 through bracket. You have the Bulls, who are a half game behind the Wizards right now, and the Pacers, two games behind. I guess you got to put them within arm's length of the final spot there in the East. But that's your NBA here over the course of this weekend, and we will continue to keep pace and keep track of what's going on as we continue to move into the month of March, getting into the final quarter of the season as we get ready and get set Although still another five, six weeks away, but for a tournament that everybody's going to anticipate here to see where this may lie for the next NBA champion. As for the college sport, been relatively quiet. The only noteworthy item that I have is Arizona and how they lost the other day was just as excruciating as you could possibly have. Up by two in their own building. Desmond Cambridge Jr. chucked a 60-foot shot at the buzzer to win 88-87 to shock the Wildcats, number seven overall. Now they may drop a seeding or two later on. We'll get to see the latest rankings in college basketball where Houston should still be number one as they've been blitzing through this past week. We talked about the other day where they just thwarted Tulane and they beat East Carolina as they get into the final week before conference championship week. But Arizona, that is just a gut punch. To lose to your in-state rivals in that fashion in your own building, there is no way to try to shake that off. And we're going to see if they're going to be resilient enough as we get into conference championship week next week, whether or not they'll play against one another, if they can exact some revenge. So that's something we'll keep in the back of our minds as we move along here. But college basketball has been relatively low-key. Not a lot of upsets this past week. Everything has been status quo. I know that as we get into next week, that's when a lot of the tournaments will get to really sink our teeth into what could transpire next week, who's going to make the tournament, who's on the bubble, etc. I know I'll get into a little bit more of that next Thursday because leading into the week, we could speculate and we could try to analyze all we want. But once we get into the tournaments, which a lot of them will start Wednesday, you'll have a couple that'll start Tuesday. But we'll really get A lay of the land then because Selection Sunday is two weeks from yesterday. And then we'll get to survey the entire nation to see who goes where, what the brackets will look like. And as I've said a million times over the last month and change, we know that this is going to be a tournament unlike one we've ever seen. So we'll pay attention to that as we inch closer to the month of March and the madness that will ensue. And as I turn my attention to what's happening on the ice and lacing up my skates, a lot of deals have been made here over the last few days. And the team that sticks out, there's two teams that really stick out above the rest. One are the Bruins. And you say to yourself, the Bruins have had the best record in the sport. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It seems like since the beginning of the year. And you have to give them their just due, all the credit in the world and what they've done. And they made a trade with the Capitals. And you got to wonder whether or not the Capitals are going to start selling off pieces. Because as I talked about on Thursday, with Alex Ovechkin being out of the lineup with the untimely death of his dad. And even though he's been back and they beat the Rangers there on Saturday. But you kind of wonder whether or not the Capitals are going to raise the white flag by dealing Garnett Hathaway as well as Dmitri Orlov to the Bruins for some picks as they look for some reinforcements to try to get themselves secure in the East for a Stanley Cup run, because as I've said before, and I'll say it again, you do not have a season like this to date and think that you're unworthy of not winning the Cup. Because the Bruins, as we, again, I kind of sound like a broken record and even hate to go down that road again, but when you get off to the start that they have and you have a season where you're putting an assault on the record books. We talked about their torrid home start to begin the year, which they set records in doing so. And now that they have their lofty perch at the top of the Atlantic, currently 13 points ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs, 45-8-5, bringing in two more reinforcements, winners recently of six in a row, and they still have 24 games left. 95 points where they could eclipse the all-time record 132 points in a season and 62 wins in an NHL season I get it you want to try to do whatever you can to get your team not only first and foremost as healthy but to have as much depth and just to let you know how special this season has been their goaltender Linus Olmark scored an empty net goal the 13th goalie in NHL history to do so And that's all you need to know with the type of season they had, that their goaltender scored a goal in a game a couple days ago. So if it couldn't get any more epic or to the point where you couldn't even have dreamt of this, to my guy JD, who is a huge Bruin fan. And I got news for you. And I'll say this quick, fast, in a hurry. As great of a season as they have gone through to this point, All the pressure and the bullseye is going to be on them to win this whole thing. Just think about the Lightning a few years ago in 2018-2019 where they put their own assault onto the record books and what happened? Not only did they lose in the first round, they got swept. Four games, Columbus. That's all you need to know. And not to say that history is going to repeat itself or the Bruins are going to go down that avenue or that dark alley where all the pressure is going to mount on the team shoulders the coach the organization and then their season goes up in smoke but just something to keep in mind as we slowly but surely get closer to the end of the regular season and knowing that all of their chips are being pushed to the middle of the table and yes when they cash those suckers in it better be a Stanley Cup at the end of the day then you had the Devils as we all know have played exceptionally well this year And this is a team that had a little bit of a lull as Carolina sped right past them in the standings. But they have played very well and have kept pace with the Hurricanes and the Metropolitan. Only three points behind them. And they bring in a big-time goal scorer from the San Jose Sharks and a one, Timo Meyer. He's going to be a big help to go along with Jack Hughes and to try to get the Devils deep into the postseason in their own right. And... With the deadline just a few days away, you wonder if there's going to be any more wheeling and dealing, especially when you have Carolina, who's done very well, and the aforementioned Bruins. We talked about the Maple Leafs last week making a trade where they brought in Ryan O'Reilly from the St. Louis Blues, and that's paid dividends so far, as we talked about there on Thursday with the two goals that he had in his first game within a 37-second span. And the Lightning, even the Avalanche, they bring back a defenseman that they had from their cup team. So there's going to be a lot that we're going to have to get our heads on a swivel because when it's all said and done, and think about this, when I'm back on Thursday, the deadline is still Friday. So who knows what's going to happen between now and then when it comes to teams trying to get themselves in good stead and good position to make that late season run to get to the postseason or to keep themselves not only within arms distance, but I would think body distance from other teams, a la the Bruins Maybe even to a certain extent, the Hurricanes, as they try to gain some separation there in the Metropolitan. But for the rest of the NHL, I know Vegas also made a deal. And a lot of these little deals, I can't really dissect people. I got to give it up. And you know me, as much as I've been on top of the NHL and have followed it throughout the years, but I don't have that expertise that I once did. And that's going back decades, I understand. But even with Vegas, and we all know that the Pacific is hotly contested between them, Seattle, even the LA Kings, who just finished a road trip where you had an incident there with Ke'Andre Miller spitting in the face of Drew Doughty in a Ranger victory yesterday. So you know he's going to face some suspension time. And I would think maybe in the next day or so, tops, that Miller is going to sit out and face a big-time penalty. That is a no-no. And if that happened, ugh. How I wish 40 years ago, you probably would have had a bench clearing brawl in the process. But we understand that's for yesteryear, not for today. But for Vegas, like I mentioned, they had made a deal. You wonder if the Kings are going to do so as well. But as I get through some of these trades, they get Barbashev from St. Louis as they continue to overhaul. And you got to wonder whether or not the coach is going to survive this. And that's a one Craig Berube, who won a Stanley Cup a few years back, if you remember in 2019 against the Boston Bruins, I don't know if he's going to survive this. I wish he could stay. Is it partly his fault? They've had a lot of ebbs and flows in their season, and now it looks like their season is going to be out to sea. So we're gonna to have to wait and see what's gonna happen there in St. Louis. Remember, they already traded Vladimir Tarasenko to St. uh to the Rangers, excuse me, from St. Louis. So you gotta wonder what's gonna happen there. The Stars are making acquisitions there as they acquire a player from Montreal and a one of Jenny Again, I can't really dissect how much that enough is going to be a plus for Dallas, but they would know better than I. But he's a player that will be on my radar moving forward to see what the Stars are going to do, because the Stars, they're also in a bit of a rock fight there in the Central to go along with teams like Colorado, as well as the Minnesota Wild, as those teams, even Winnipeg, separated by three points in the Central Division. As I mentioned, out West... Same scenario there, although there's been a little bit of separation between Vegas, LA, Edmonton, and Seattle. In fact, Edmonton has actually leapfrogged over Seattle for third place, and both of those teams have not fared well as Edmonton, or excuse me, Seattle's lost three in a row and Edmonton just recently lost there the other night. But NHL now looks like it's going to be hotly contested, to say the least, and will take a deeper dive on Thursday as to what's going to transpire on the transaction front. I will keep you abreast of what's going on, and then we'll have to reevaluate come next Monday, because with the deadline Friday, I'm sure there's going to be some last-second deals as teams try to do their best to get themselves, as I mentioned, in position for the quest of Lord Stanley come April, May, and June. And you also have to factor in where Patrick Kane is going, the longtime Chicago Blackhawk three-time cup winner. He had left the team during their recent trip out in California where he went back to Chicago and knowing that his tenure in Chicago is pretty much done and let's see what's going to happen here in the coming days. There's been some talk and a mutual interest between the Rangers and Kane and how that's come about in the recent days. I understand you're dealing with tampering there. I know that The Islanders were rumored before they brought in Bo Horvat to be a guy that they were interested in and now it looks like Kane wants to have that connection with the Broadway Blue Shirts. Let's see if that's going to pan out considering that Tarasenko was just recently acquired as I mentioned just a second ago but Kane is a guy that we're going to have to really look at here to see what's left in his tank. Obviously with all the miles that he had performed there in the Windy City and now to maybe be a part of a cup-winning contender. So let's see what's going to happen if the Rangers are going to give up more assets to bring in Kane to maybe be that final piece and be the guy to go along with Tarasenko, who's also won a cup, to maybe push them over the top. As we all know, they fell a couple of games short from getting to a Stanley Cup final last year as they lost to Tampa in the conference semis. And then David Poyle, the longtime GM of the Capitals going way back, and then just recently of the Nashville Predators, the only GM that the Predators have had since they've come into the league 20 some odd years ago, will now step down from that position. And the person that's going to fill his shoes and big ones at that, which will take into effect on June 30th, none other than Barry Trotz, the longtime Nashville Predator coach, and I believe he was the first ever coach in Predator history had that long run, went to a cup final where they lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then I believe he was a coach of that team because I know obviously he had won a cup with the Capitals, but he may have been on the team at that point. So you know what? I got ahead of myself. I'd have to go back and look at that. But you know how I feel about Barry Trotz. I thought he got a raw deal there at the end. I understand that there was a mutual difference where both coach and GM Lula Morello of the Islanders had a parting of the ways, some differences, and for Trotz to be idle here all this time, but now get the GM job in Nashville, and the Islanders are playing well. They had a two-game winning streak just snapped a couple days ago, even though i come to think of it, they did beat Winnipeg yesterday, so I'm all over the map here with the NHL, so my apologies, but knowing that Trotz is going to be back in the fabric of Nashville, I'm sure that's going to, be good for the fans, I'm sure they're going to look forward to seeing what Trot's is going to do now at the head of the front office, so that's another news item that I want to put out there, one not only for the f- former coach of the Islanders, but one for the franchise that he led there for so many years going back a decade plus. So now let's turn our attention to baseball, and we have some interesting developments here over the last couple of days during the exhibition season, which is now kicked off here the first thing I want to get into is the umpires enforcing the pitch clock and the batter outside of the batter's box as we saw that there with Manny Machado and of course I'll get to him in a few minutes Machado was the first player to be called for the being out of the batter's box where he had to be docked a strike The 8 second time frame elapsed. I guess he got out. And you're only allowed one time per plate appearance to step out of the box. And when he did so, it took more than 8 seconds. So therefore, he had a strike called against him. The big thing about that as well as. Now remember this. There was a game on Saturday. I think it was between Atlanta. And I have to dig and see who that. Other team was, was it the Astros? It may have been Houston. Where at the end of the game, and talk about just a crazy chain of events, you had a scenario where it was bases loaded, bottom of the ninth. I believe Atlanta was up. I forgot what the batter was. I think it was Atlanta. I said Houston. I believe it was the Red Sox that played in this game where it was tied 6 6 one more time, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, two outs. And the batter was Cal Conley of the Braves. And with the pitch being thrown, and he thought that the ball was outside as he was ready to go to first base, the Braves would have won the game. But the umpire called him out, strike three. The game ended in a tie. And the reason being was that he wasn't set in the batter's box after the eight-second time frame, similar to what Machado experienced the day before. And the fans booed. There was a scene in the stadium there. I don't know. I guess maybe they visited the Red Sox field. Or maybe it was in Atlanta. Atlanta's spring training complex. But could you imagine how the game you thought was going to be over on a walk-off. Bases loaded walk. And instead because Cal Conley wasn't set in the batter's box. That you had to call strike three. And your game was tied. Because of course spring training. You're not going to go into extra innings. And... You knew the fans were going to be irate. There was going to be a scene there. I don't know if there was debris thrown on the field or anything like that. But boy, one of the things that I haven't talked about when it comes to the rules, and I've shared my thoughts on it in the past, but I'm going to express my feelings about it as we get closer to the season, and especially during the MLB preview, because that's going to be huge going into the season. And the main storyline are the umps going to enforce these rules consistently, not just in the first week of the season, not just in the first week of spring training, not in the first month, are we going to see that same energy come June, July, August, and especially into October? And I would think it's going to be a scenario where I could see, if I look into my crystal ball, they're going to enforce this from this jump, as we can understandably and rightfully see. And then, Maybe it'll be a little bit lenient. Maybe it won't be too harsh. Maybe you'll get a scenario where after the eight-second rule, similar to where the play clock strikes zero in football, where the linesman will give him that extra split second in order for the ball to be snapped, as opposed to it hitting zero and then throwing the flag. Maybe they'll give him that extra tick before the batter is fully entrenched in the batter's box. But I will say this, I could see as the season goes along, maybe they'll pick their spots when it comes to that, if it's blatant, if it's egregious, understood, but I would think once you get into October, that's when it's going to be heavily enforced because they're going to want these games to be, I don't want to say sped through, but there's a reason why these rules are implemented when it comes to the pitch clock, as well as the eight second batter in the batter's box, when he takes that one swing, stepping out of the box for every at bat throughout the course of the game. And I love it. Even Max Scherzer said that it gives the pitcher power. And I can understand that. If you're a pitcher who's deliberate, and I'm going way back with Steve Traxel, if you're going to take three hours, and I understand he can't take three hours anymore because he's going to have 20 seconds with no one on base and then 15 seconds with a runner on first or second or just on base period. But you're going to have a scenario where the pitchers, they're going to feel that power because they're going to be ready to go when it comes to delivering their pitch you're not going to have batters stepping out of the box taking swings looking at the third base coach looking into the stands let me check the pitch clock whatever it is they're going to have to stay in the box and they can't get too comfortable to where the pitcher whether they try to brush them back or they try to nibble or they try to pick their spots or work their spots in the strike zone I feel that they do have a bit of an advantage because the batter they're not going to be deliberate in their approach with a little bit of gamesmanship to take a shot at the pitcher knowing that they could take their time and have the pitcher be emotionally and maybe even to a certain extent psychologically worked on the mound because it's all based on what the hitter does. Because rarely have we seen the pitcher get the ball and they're ready to throw the next pitch. So something to keep an eye on as we go through this exhibition season And as we get into the regular season, and of course, I'll discuss it more then. Speaking of Manny Machado, you have a scenario where last week he came out upon his arrival at camp saying that he's going to opt out of his contract at the end of 2023. Well, boy, if we fast forward 2023, those six or seven months went by. It seemed like six or seven minutes because the Padres said, "Uh uh-uh. They locked the door, threw away the key and said, Here's an 11-year, $350 million contract. Take it or leave it. And if you're Manny Machado, how could you pass that up? And good for Machado because if he would have just looked at that contract and said, nah, I want more, then boy, he would have been public enemy number one in San Diego. And I understand San Diego is not a baseball hotbed a la New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, etc. But boy, he would have had faced not only just in his town, But could you imagine when he goes to other cities and he steps to the plate knowing that he turned down that big of an offer? Again, there was no way in hell that he could have passed up on it. It was the godfather offer that the owner and a lot of people wonder with the Padres. Who's the owner of this team? Is it Jeff Bezos? He's handing out these big time contracts as if they're Halloween candy. No, it's actually Peter Seidler, a guy who his grandfather was Walter O'Malley. And if you're wondering who Walter O'Malley was, he was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers as well as the LA Dodgers up to the late 70s to where his uncle, and I'm sure you probably remember this name, younger baseball fans, Peter O'Malley, led the team and owned the team up until the late 90s before Rupert Murdoch bought the team and we all know what happened after that with that whole fiasco once he got the team and the divorce and who was going to get the team, etc., cetera. But yes, those O'Malley's are the ones who are part of that lineage. And Seidler, although he's not a baseball man a la the O'Malley's, he got his money in private equity. But him opening up his checkbook and flashing and flexing his muscles when it comes to his deep pockets is a guy that is right now looking like a big market team in a small market land. Because nobody ever thought that the Padres, and we get it, this has gone back to Eric Hosmer when they signed him to that, what was it, eight year, I guess it was $184 million deal or somewhere in that vicinity, and then you bring in Machado, and then you bring in not only Fernando Tatis Jr., but you sign him to that money, then the trade for Juan Soto, giving up all those picks, knowing that his day's going to come when you're going to have to sign him On top of that, signing Joe Musgrave, five years, $100 million. On top of that, you Darvish giving him a six year, $106 million deal. All right, you can say that's not a lot of money for a starting pitcher. As a matter of fact, that's a discount, but he is 36 years of age and he's going to pitch to 42. On top of $285 million for Xander Bogarts. On top of the rumor of Aaron Judge being offered 10 years and $400 million. On top of now this deal for Machado. and like I said, there's Elon Musk on this team or Jeff Bezos. No, to clarify and put it to bed is the aforementioned Peter Seidel. And I understand there are probably a lot of owners out there that are just seething. Because as much as you could look at Steve Cohen, his money, and we know we've talked about that scenario a thousand times, but knowing what he has done here over the last two years and how the Met payroll has ballooned in upwards of almost $400 million. The owners, of course, they don't like it. Of course, they seethe, but they look at that as all right, it's New York. It's the Mets. They haven't won in a zillion years. Big time market, competing with the Yankees, competing for dollars, even though the Met fan is the diehard Met fan like yours truly, and the Yankee fan is the Yankee fan. There's no way that Steve Cohen is trying to get the Yankee fan to come on board. Uh Uh-uh. And if he tells you that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you. So you can forget about that. But for the owners to now look at San Diego as a team, as an organization that now is going to spend whatever it takes in order to win a World Series. and As we all know, they've only been to two World Series since 1969 from their beginning of their existence. The 84 team, which got annihilated by the Tigers. And then the 98 team, we all know who won that year. One of the great teams of all time, the New York Yankees. So, they're all in. They're looking at this as, this is it. We are not holding back. So, for the owner out there, whether you're in Colorado, Miami, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, those small market teams... Of course, they're going to be pulling their hair out of their heads because what in the hell is San Diego doing trying to be one of the big kids on the block to go along with the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Cubs to a certain degree? Now the Padres have now puffed out their chest to be that team when they belong pretty much on the small market side of the block. You know why that they're just up in arms to think that the sport without a salary cap and without any type of ceiling and floor that the sport is just going to be littered with the aforementioned teams being into the postseason year in and year out, unless you're the Rays that have the resources and an excellent front office that although they can't compete with the big boys, but they certainly can compete as far as how they run their operation and they should be the handbook to all the other small markets to say we should do it like they do in order to compete. Does it sustain long-term success? For the Rays, at least for five years, it has. They made it to a World Series. They came two wins away from winning a World Series. And they've made it to the postseason quite a bit over the last four or five years. But we all know they have not won the brass ring when it's all said and done. But at least they're in the discussion. Whereas the Royals, Reds, to a certain extent, I won't say the Guardians because they made it to the postseason. But we all know they're pretty much a small market when you think of what they spend and how they operate. Yeah, they can't compete. They just can't. So, kudos to Machado getting his contract and the Padres for now stepping it up to be, as we know, over the last few years, but even more so, saying that, oh, Machado's going to opt out after this year? Ha! We didn't even get into March, let alone the end of spring training or even October, November before we threw the contract and a sharpie in Machado's face to say sign it or leave it and then lastly I'm only going to touch on these two things and be very brief I talked about this on my TikTok as well as my YouTube feeds and my channel at J Reels YouTube so that's going to be a big platform moving forward so that's going to be on your radar guys so and gals so definitely keep that in mind But the two things I want to get to, Aaron Rodgers finally leaves the darkness retreat up in Oregon. Why is this a story? I do not know. Listen, whatever he wants to do with his life, God bless him. And you know what? I'm for doing things off the beaten path. I really am. Because in this life, once you're gone, you're gone. So if you wanted to sit in darkness for four days and really contemplate about life, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, mentally, whatever, do you. All for it. But seriously, if you're thinking that he's going to sit in darkness for four days and then come out to announce whether or not he's going to stay in Green Bay or he wants to go elsewhere, you're off your rocker. That's why, as I said about four or five weeks ago, maybe even longer than that, that I don't want to hear about Aaron Rodgers until he either officially says he stays in Green Bay or if he requests a trade, let me know where he ends up. Wake me up and I'll discuss it. Other than that, I could care less. And I understand he's a magnet. I understand he's a lightning rod. I understand he's even ratings to a certain extent. But again, I'm tired of regurgitated narratives. I'm tired of where is he going to go? Is he going to stay in Green Bay? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Oh, he could go to the Raiders. Oh, he could go to the Jets. He could go to this team. I don't want to hear it. I'm done. I've washed my hands. Forget it. Let me know where he ends up. And we'll talk about it then. That's number one. Number two, is Russell Wilson how in... February of last year, it was reported by The Athletic that it was pretty much either a Kevin Durant type of deal where I go or the coach and GM goes, and that goes back to the summertime with Kevin Durant, Steve Nash at the time, and Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, where it was reported he wanted Pete Carroll, the coach, and the GM, John Schneider out in Seattle. He refuted that, of course, saying that Pete Carroll was like a father to him and John Schneider had drafted me and taken a chance with the third selection, not overall, but a third round selection for Russell Wilson and all the success that they had, the two Super Bowls, the one victory, etc., making him a big time starting quarterback in the league. All right, who you believe, fine. But my point is this, he got traded, whatever it was, a few weeks after that or right before the draft or right around then. Why is this a story? Why didn't the story come out? And I get it that maybe somebody caught wind of this over the last few weeks and thought, oh, you know, let me write about this and had some interesting storylines or had some credible information from sources, etc. And that's not to knock the writer and I don't know who wrote it and I didn't read it, I don't subscribe to it, etc. Just based on just what I saw on a couple of online sites. But why is this a story? Why? Why? I could see if he was still there and both Carroll and Schneider are still there and they're still trying to work it out or trying to live with the consequences of the fallout of that and the owner stepped in to say, "Uh uh-uh, we're working this out, we're all going to be together and fight through this thing. A year later, who cares? He's in Denver and in a situation where he's trying to pump life into a bad past couple of years in his career, the last one not only being in Denver but the one before that in Seattle. So, for to me, I don't know about the other NFL fan or the sports fan where they say, oh, wow, really? Oh, Russell Wilson wanted him out? Oh, he's a coach and GM killer. I can't trust him. I can't this. And even then, they said, I believe in the story that he wanted Sean Payton to be the coach of the team in Seattle. And again, all refuted. As it is, he got his wish. Sean Payton is in Denver. And let's see what's going to happen there where we're far from OTAs and training camp, etc. We're just two weeks removed from the Super Bowl and the season, quote-unquote, in earnest begins in mid-March when it comes to free agency and then we still have to deal with the combine, which I believe is this week or sometime next week, which, as I've said on this podcast for the last four years, I don't watch a peep of it. I could care less. The scouting combine can be in my living room and I will go in the bedroom and slam the door. But for... This to be a story. Please. Seriously. A year later. No interest on. This guy. Let's move forward. And that is it. Another podcast in the books people. What more can I tell you. As I said at the top. Supremely. Grateful and thankful. To have this endeavor. And as I like to say. Sports is in the blood. My blood. My DNA. And. I'm not going anywhere people. I am here to stay. So. With the 50th anniversary upon us and especially with YouTube being a new vehicle for me to pump out the podcast even further, I encourage you to subscribe to that channel because I plan to post some videos over the course and I do daily when it comes to shorts, things about what's happening in sports, but I want to expand on that, get a little personal about the podcast, about yours truly to get into that. And in order for you to find out the latest and greatest, you're going to have to go to that and subscribe to get my daily takes on sports, as well as what I go through to put this podcast together and the like. So I think it'd be fascinating if you care to follow or care to watch, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. As you know, Apple, Spotify, Spreaker, jreels.com, wherever you get them just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there and one more time with the socials you can follow me at Instagram TikTok Facebook the J Reels Podcast one more time YouTube at J Reels Twitter J Reels one just the number and if you want to hit me up with a question comment or suggestion you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com slash the J-Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. to make this experience into this microphone to your earbuds and speakers, pleasurable, enjoyable, entertaining, informative. Because as I said before and one last time, This is what I love to do, people. I am planning to do big things with this podcast as I have been for so long, but now as we're approaching five years and doing this for as long as I have almost 340 episodes, as long as the good Lord has me here on his green earth, I plan to do 340 more times two and beyond. Because whether you do or do not know, I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise with nothing but passion fire fury and energy on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond ice gridiron hardwood golf course racetrack tennis court boxing ring octagon you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where I am to wherever you are the J Reels podcast always comes correct direct and in full effect the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.